Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Excited to see you all this morning as we're making our way in from the lobby. Um, excited to worship alongside you all. Let's be reminded of this. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, says this, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them. They follow me, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We're gonna sing a song, the old hymn, Come Thou Fount, is what we're gonna start off with this morning. John says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. In this song, we're gonna sing the lyric, prone um, to wonder, Lord, I feel it. But we can rest in assurance this morning even though we are prone to wonder, God has us that we are secure in the salvation of Jesus, that no one can snatch us out of his hand. And so that's good news for us this morning. So let's stand together and let's sing. Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy
Jacob and this is Eileen and we have the privilege of serving on the college ministry team here. We're really excited to be here worshiping with y'all this morning and we wanted to just give you guys a few announcements and highlights both from the college ministry and then just some stuff happening around here in uh, at fellowship. College ministry has been incredible. We're going through the book of James in our teaching series on Sunday nights. Tonight will be the third week going through that. And y'all, last week we had right over 700 college students come here in this auditorium to listen to the word be taught and to worship. Yeah, it's been absolutely incredible. It's been so fun to be a part of that. We also are beginning our uh, small group studies that we'll do throughout the whole semester. So we have 10 small groups for the entire semester of uh, y'all who are helping lead college students through various sections of the scriptures and what it means to follow Jesus. Those are gonna be starting up this Tuesday and we're super excited about that. There's a lot of energy, a lot of people coming, wanting to just dive into what it means to follow Jesus and worship together on Sunday nights here at the college ministry. Yeah, and we would love to ask you guys to come partner with with us with the college ministry. Uh, College students are gonna change the world, and they already are changing the world. Not only are they our next generation of leaders in the church, but our college students are already leading. They are sharing the gospel across campuses and across the world on mission trips and studies abroad. Uh, And we would love for our Sunday morning congregation to come partner with us at the college service. So on Sunday nights, like Jacob said, we meet um, at 7 p.m. for our college service. And much like we have on Sunday mornings here with the prayer room, we would love to open that up on Sunday nights as well. So if you are interested in coming on Sunday nights, maybe once a month, um, once every few weeks, and praying for our college students, we would love to have you come do that. So you're welcome to come and talk to Jacob or I after the service. We'll be up front here. Um, But we would love for you to come and just experience what it's like on a Sunday night and, um, yeah, meet some, some college students and pray for them. Yeah, and we also have some announcements uh, for fellowship as a whole. And so I think women's ministry have something going on specifically? Oh, yes, absolutely. So women in the room, uh, September 23rd through 24th on Friday and Saturday, we will be gathering in homes across Fayetteville for our women's retreat. So um, Friday night and Saturday morning, it will be just an incredible time of teaching and community. So if you're wanting to meet some other women from Fellowship Fayetteville, Uh, come sign up for that. It'll be on the QR code behind me, and you can also sign up on our webpage. Yeah, and and finally, you know, the church exists to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to follow Jesus. And so we have some opportunities that if y'all are just desiring to be equipped 
and to learn some more. Hey, this is what it means to follow Jesus in these ways. We have some awesome things uh, coming up. We have Discover Fellowship classes going, and so if you've been coming to fellowship for a while or maybe you're really looking into uh, saying, hey, this is going to be my church home. Discover Fellowship is an amazing opportunity. It's the opportunity uh, just a, cla- a couple of classes that you do with some small groups uh, to see what fellowship's all about, wh- who we are, why we do what we do, and begin working towards that membership process. We have other things like Panorama of the Bible, uh, which is an incredible class that goes from Genesis to Revelation, the whole narrative of the scripture to see what God is doing and is going to do in his plan of redemption, uh, and a lot more. So if you guys want to scan that QR code or go on the website to check out some of those options to become more equipped, please do. There's been incredible work done in that, uh, and we love being a part of those. So I want to offer that to y'all. That's all we got for this morning. Uh, Let me pray, and then we'll go back to worship. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy towards us. Thank you for just allowing us the privilege of coming together like this corporately to worship you, to hear the word taught. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would gear our hearts towards worship this morning, uh, that you'd soften our ears to hear the word, uh, that we would apply it to our lives and we draw near to you this morning. We thank you, Father. Amen. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to
singing that song. I think I've, I've mentioned this before in a service. That I grew up in South Arkansas and jumped around to some Southern Baptist churches, and that was that was one of the big songs that we sang a lot. So um, there's some really rich truths in that song, and it's really nostalgic, and I enjoy singing it. But before we got to um, the Baptist churches, we had to go through the Methodist church first. And so my family and I started out when I was really young uh, attending a Methodist church. And at this church, every single week, we would say the Lord's Prayer. And I was so young, I, did, I didn't really understand what we were doing. But to this day, I have the Lord's Prayer memorized because of that Methodist church. It's because we said it every single week. And as time has gone on, I've, I've slowed down and I've, I've tried to listen to the words of that prayer more and more. And they've become richer years have gone on. And so I think there is some good for some repetition in our gatherings that happen on Sunday mornings. And so we're going to try to do some of that. Um, in just a second, I'm going to introduce to you all um, a confession and an assurance of pardon that myself and Garland and, and Jimmy have, have kind of crafted uh, for you guys, for us all together as a congregation to be reminded that we are sinners in need of a savior, but that if we believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ, we actually have that savior already. And so it's a spoken word piece. And I'll say the first line, um, and then together as a church body, I want us to say the following in this confession. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. And it's good for us to sit in that for just a second and to believe that we actually do need a savior because we are all in fact sinful people fallen from what God has called us to. But if you believe in the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you've committed your life to following him, then you can stand secure in the assurance of pardon that we are about to say. So church, if you believe in Christ, you're following Jesus, be confident in these words. Church, believe the good news. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
years ago. We're going to enter into a house church in ancient Ephesus and hear these words as they would have sounded from Paul to these churches. So hear the word of the Lord. In agape pra arisas hemas eis uiathesian dia iesu Christu eis altan. Katatain yudakian to the laimitasatu. Eis epine on doxes tes keritasatu. Eis ekeritosin hemas into agape mino. In ho echo men tain apolutrosin dia to haimatasatu. Tain efesin ton periptomaton. Catataplutas tes keritas altu, heis epirissus in eis hemas, in passe Sophia, caifronese gnorisas heminta musterian to thelematas altu, cataten judakian altu, hein pra efeto in alto. Ace oikonomian to play Romatas ton Chiron, and a kefalio saste taipanta into Christo, ta epitois udenois, kaita epites geis in alto. In hokai eclerothe min pra eristentes, kate prothesin tu tapanta in urguntas, kata ten bulan tu thelematas altu. Ace ta enai hemas, ace epine on doxes altu, tus pra elpicatas in to Christo. In hokai humes acusantes tan lagan, tes aletheis, te uengelion te soterias humon. In hokai pistusantes esfragistate to numati. Tes epangelias to hagio. Ha est an erebon, tes kleronomias hemon. Es apolutrosin, tes peripoieseos, es epinon, tes doxes altu. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Amen, and thank you, Garland. We often love to read the scriptures in the different languages of the world, and sometimes we have our native speakers, and sometimes we have those who have learned Greek, and uh, Garland has had the privilege of, uh, of also uh, teaching uh, some of our staff and some of you in Greek, and now some in Hebrew as well, and so Garland, thanks for using your gifts and blessing the church with the word 
of the Lord. There's going to be a day um, yet in the future when all the kingdoms of the world and all the ethnicities, the nations, the tribes, the tongues, and the nations of the world will be gathered around the throne and will be praising them in their language. And so we want to give you just a preview of that um, at times when we read the scriptures. And so excited to have you with us this morning. My name is Clark and I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And as we uh, jump into our study in Ephesians together from now until just before Thanksgiving, man, we couldn't be more excited about uh, this series. I wanted to make you aware of an opportunity. Um, There are a few more spots left Um, on this Pauls of Journey trip that some of us are going to be taking uh, next June in the first 12 days of June uh, 2023. And so Sam Hannon and uh, myself and my wife Pam, Mark and uh, Jenny Henry from Fellowship Little Rock, about 175 of us are going to be on a clipper ship going from Istanbul to Athens. And we're going to move into some of Paul's cities a few days at a time here, and we're going to learn and see Um, the context that he taught and sowed the gospel in. And so there's a handful of cabins left. If you're interested in that trip, um, you can QR code this, or you can just simply come up to me or email me, and I can put you in touch with the right folks. Um, As we begin uh, our time in Ephesians, also want to remind you of an incredible resource that you'll have at your fingertips. You can get one of these on your way out in the information booth to your right or to your left. And it's our study guide for Ephesians in this series. Um, In this guide specifically, more than ever, there's been great intention put into it to help you become uh, one who can study the scriptures and ask good questions of the scriptures, one who can make observations. Much of what we're going to do together this morning is one big observation of what is true in the text to help you Make it come alive and apply it to your life. We've also got devotional prompts in here, as well as discuss, discussion questions that can help you in your small group, your men's group, your women's group, or your community group or cell group. And so, just so you know, it's a great resource. It'll go right along with um, our teaching each Sunday. The passage is in there. There's a place for notes. And so, we hope that that's going to be a great guide for you um, in this series One of the first books that I ever read um, as a young follower of Jesus was A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy, The Knowledge of the Holy. Along with this book, it was my first junior year of college. Some of us had two junior years, right? Some major changes. Uh, I was reading the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And my view of God and who he was and why he was worthy of worship began to expand. And it's as if God rescued me again as he helped me see who he is and how he's revealed himself in Christ. And as he reveals his attributes in this book, this quote, he says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about that. What comes to your mind When you think about God is the most important thing about you. And in like, I would say that what how we see ourselves as God sees us is the most important thing about us. How we see ourselves in light of who He is, when we think of Him in light of who we are, becomes the narrative or the script that we talk to ourselves with under our breath and daily in our minds. 
And then over time, it begins to change the way we live our lifestyle and our behavior. And we couldn't be more excited as a church to begin this journey together as a family. In fact, I bumped into Mark um, and Jenny Henry yesterday um, at the game, and we had no idea, but even Fellowship Little Rock, we just have a, we have a good relationship with their church. We're not organizationally connected in any way. I said, yeah, we're starting Ephesians together. And he goes, we are too. And so uh, as, a, as a communion of the saints, as we gather together, there's, we're going to be studying this book with folks in Bentonville, um, with folks in Rogers, and with our brothers and sisters in Little Rock and those of us in Fayetteville too. And so we're excited about this journey from creation to consummation as we understand it. Uh, Paul's going to reveal God's glorious plan to bring all things under the authority of Jesus in this study. And we see that God has a plan that he's working. As it unfolds, we're going to see how right thinking about who God is and the greatness of him can transform the, the day-to-day details, the decisions that you make as you try to follow Jesus in this world. Paul's going to confront our pride, our independence, our sin. He's going to confront our anxiety. He's going to confront our independence. Our, um, he's going to con- confront many of our ethnic prejudices in this letter. He's going to confront different idols in our life of comfort, of power, of control, of approval. Later in the letter, he's going to confront our mouth. He's going to confront the need for peace and unity in our homes as parents, in our marriages. And he's going to lift our eyes up to a bigger spiritual battle that's going on in an unseen place that we get to play a part in in that battle with weapons that are not of this world, and we're going to be introduced to this battle. For those of you who consider yourself theologians, and you need a little theology in your Bible study, the the letter to the Ephesians has tons of what we call Christology, the study of who Jesus is in there. Ecclesiology, the study of the church. Soteriology, the study or the understanding of salvation, what we call pneumatology, we're going to learn tons about who uh, the Holy Spirit is. Anthropology, the study of man, and even some eschatology for those of you that are fascinated about what's coming in the end times. It's all in this six-chapter letter. And God, we see God working out a plan for his church and his glory, and he's invited you, and he's invited me into it. Can we get excited about this? I mean, this is going to be oh, so good. Garland wanted so bad to teach this sermon, and I kept him at bay. Just let him read the Greek, all right? We're so excited. Um, hey, super simplistic breakdown for us this morning as we consider. There's a lot, there's, there's better outlines out there, but simply for our purposes this morning, we're just going to lay some planks this morning um, to set us up for the rest of our time together. The first three chapters of Ephesians primarily deals with doctrine, what we believe. Um, It deals with what we know in our head and our mind. Orthodoxy, what we believe, right teaching, calling, and being. The last four chapters of Ephesians in kind will deal with lifestyle, behavior, our hearts, our hands, how we behave, right practice, orthopraxy, conduct, and 
how to live out and do Christianity based on who we are, our being. We're going to look at four specific themes that pop up off this passage um, this morning. Uh, there's more themes in, in, in Ephesians, but these four, I think, will lay some planks for us as we move into the other, um, the other five chapters of Ephesians. Sovereignty, identity, unity, and glory. Sovereignty, identity, unity, and glory. And as we learn to study the scriptures together, all we're going to do this morning is we're going to identify phrases, words, clauses that are repetitions. And we're going to let them bubble up outside the text and let them define kind of where we're going in our study together. And so I want us all to get good at this, at observing repetitions together. And so some of the journal questions that you'll have in your study guide will help you uh, become proficient at doing this as well. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your journal, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, 1 and 2. Paul, our author here, is writing to the church at Ephesus, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle of Jesus Christ, and an apostle simply means a sent one. It's where we get our idea or our concept of missionary. And right out of the gate, his mission is actually rooted in his identity. So some of these themes, it's already, they're already popping off the page here. Paul, an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ. Jesus had specifically sent him, and what we'll learn later, he sent him to the Gentiles to bring the good news of Jesus' kingship. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So we understand even here, God's got a plan. He's got a will and a plan for Paul to take the gospel to the Gentile church. His sovereign plan is already in play. Who's it to? To God's holy people. They're his possession. Holy simply means set aside for special use or set aside for noble use. These, these new Gentile, these new Jewish believers have been set aside in a dark city to be a light to the nations that Jesus is the true king. And through their behavior, through their words, through their lifestyle, they're to be a holy people. Again, an identity statement. But they're in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus at the time, uh, some scholars believe, was the second most influential city in, Roman, in the Roman world at the time. It was a dark culture. It was a port city. And much of the city and the trade and the economy was run through the worship of the goddess Artemis. It was also known at the time her temple to be, if not one of, or if not the largest structures in the known world at the time. Paul uh, served there, sowing the gospel and teaching and discipling and communicating the good news about two and a half years um, during his, on one of his missionary journeys. Uh, Timothy, we studied First uh, Timothy um, just last year. Timothy was one of the pastors there in Ephesus, one of uh, Paul's protégés to pastor. John even lived there for a season. If you want a really cool snapshot of what happens when the gospel confronts paganism and darkness and idols, write out in, on the side of your, your notes in your Bible or your journal, Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. It's a fascinating scene of what happens uh, when the gospel is reigning and ruling in a city. Grace and peace to you 
from God the Father, verse two. The Father, God our Father notes there's this idea of intimacy in the Lord Jesus Christ, signaling his allegiance or his authority. And so in this dark place, in this city of Ephesus, the gospel has come to reign in the rule on a handful of believers. And God is moving his sovereign work all over the known Asian world at the time. And Ephesus is at the centerpiece of much of that work. And so as we move to uh, verse 3 here, um, just so you know, next week, um, Garland's going to unpack uh, this, this prayer. It's a nine-verse prayer. And basically the prayer, it, Paul gets so overwhelmed with the greatness of who God and what he's done in Jesus Christ is, he just start, he blurts out a prayer. And, um, and what we see here is much like this morning, it, it's much like a hymn. It's similar to what we see in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It's, a, it's like a New Testament psalm. And in the Greek, just so you know what Garland read, it's one sentence. One sentence, okay? In your English versions, it's divided up so we can understand kind of the train of thought and where he's going. And so what we're gonna look at is one sentence here. And what I wanna note right out of the gate is the sovereignty of God expressed in a Trinitarian form, okay? So we consider the repetitions here um, in this text. God the Father, it's an easy way to outline the text of these first 14 verses. Primarily, we see the work of God the Father in 1 through 6. We see the work of the Son in 7 to 12. And we see the work of the Holy Spirit in 13 and 14. Some, some 23 different times, there's references made in these 14 verses to God the Father. Some 16 times to God the Son. And then twice to God the Holy Spirit. And in his sovereignty, he expresses that through the work of what we call the Trinity. God the Father, the creator, created all things in Jesus Christ. He reigns in rules. That's sovereign. That's what it means to reign over. He reigns in rules in the hearts of his people and the work of his son Jesus through Jesus' work of redemption. And now our bodies have been made the temple of the Holy Spirit for those of us that are in Christ. Now, where do we get this idea of sovereignty? Well, consider these phrases. You can see them on the screen. And they seem to speak to the idea that this God we worship has a plan. And we can trust in it, and he's working it. Consider these phrases. He chose us in him before, they found, before the creation of the world. Some of your versions may use the foundation of the world. We move into um, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance You'll see that repeated three different times. In accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and will. In verse nine, he makes known to us this mystery in Christ of his will according to his good pleasure. In verse 10, when the times reach their fulfillment, he's gonna bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ according to the plan in verse 11 of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And then in 14, I don't think it's noted on your screen, screen there's, a, there's a phrase that's used at the very, very bottom there called until the redemption. So from creation until our future full redemption of our bodies, God has this plan and he's working it. And this language speaks to that. Now, 
To be fair, if you're like me this week, I've had some moments this didn't seem real. We all are in the weeds of some brokenness right now. Maybe you can just read the headlines and see that. Things don't seem to be in control, or at least I definitely don't feel to be in control. There's some brokenness and some hurt in some of those who've you've lost some family members. You've got some bad news this week. And, and to be honest, I've had to have, this week, I've had to have faith that these statements are true when I don't feel them. Is anybody there with me? I believe that the scriptures are true, and yet in my soul, in my spirit, I struggle to believe that this is true when I see people hurting. But I believe in the work of the Son and what he's done on our behalf and the cross, the resurrection, and his ascension and where he's seated. He is over and above, and yet he's in our pain, in our place to conform all things unto the will of him who created us. So I'm banking on that, and I'm banking on that with you guys. This is good news for us. And so because of that, because these things are true and that he is sovereign, we of all people should be a billboard, we should be a commercial, we should be a bastion of trust, freedom from anxiety, not because we don't care, but because he cares and that he's in control. Can we be that kind of church? In this passage, the responsive words that are used by those that he's writing this letter to are hope, belief, hearing, and praise to the glory of God. Those are the only responses in this section here due to the glory of Christ and to the sovereignty of God. God has a plan and he's working and it's a plan that we can trust in and bank on. Uh, this sovereign plan that he's working out, working out uh, many of you, if you've trusted Christ as your savior and you're now in him, uh, you have been given a new identity and you can experience the fullness of him being sovereign and in control because of the work that he's done in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You can see on the screen here, again, repetitions. At least some 11 different times in this sentence, the idea of in Christ or under Christ or in him or through Jesus Christ, those prepositions are used. Noting that all that you have and the most important thing about you as you sit there this morning, this side of heaven, this side of your past life, not in Christ, is this right here, that he's rescued you and he's redeemed you and now you have a place in him. You're found in him and it's a place of security, and in him come these blessings. It's an amazing list. At least probably 10 or 11 different blessings that you inherit because God has placed you in Christ. Incredible, incredible blessing here. He says every spiritual blessing in Christ. He says holy and blameless. We've been chosen to be that kind of person as we stand before God. We've been predestined to adoption as sonship through Jesus Christ. He's lavished on us this glorious grace. We've experienced redemption. We've been set free or bought out of slavery from the bondage of sin. 
We've received forgiveness of sin. God has released us from the debt of that sin against him. And as Romans 8 says, there's now therefore is there, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been made known. Uh, the mystery of his will, it's another blessing. Uh, we've been chosen or predestined to be the first to put our hope in Christ along with uh, the Jewish community that had come to faith in Jesus. We've been marked in him with a seal. And so all of us who are in Christ in here this morning, you now have the Holy Spirit who resides in you. And he secures this thing called your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Is this not good news? These things are true of you because of your identity in Jesus. Now, to be fair, there's some language in here that some of you are going, say what? The word chosen is used a couple of times. The word predestined is used a few times. In other places, uh, the word elect or the idea of election is used. Part of what we see playing out here is, um, again, the letter was written to a group of people. He's reminding them of this corporate choosing, if you will, of a people that God calls the church. It's very similar to what we see in the Old Testament as God calls out a people to be faithful to him, to be his covenant people, so they would be a light to the nations around them. And so the language has a sense of community about it or a corporate feeling, a corporate choosing to it. Uh, to be chosen or predestined to be, it's not just chosen and predestined or picked out, but to be something. There's a means through Jesus Christ that we have to become something holy and blameless, adopted as sons and daughters, to put our hope in Christ. Now, to be fair, there's an individual application to this choosing or predestination. As we corporately make up the church, we individually have been brought into it, okay? And so we need to understand that. And so I think the question that begs being asked, and some of you, this is gonna be a great first week of community group, by the way. Um, for all of you community group leaders, hey, good luck with all that, right? But consider these questions. Does humanity have agency or a will to choose God? Based on the language here, does humanity have agency or a will to choose God? Or has God predetermined those who would believe in him? Well, based on the verbiage here and the way the words are used and the way the verbs are set up, we can at least say, at least, that God initiates. You see, all these words that are used are verbs that are attributed to God doing, okay? It's what the text says, all right? So we, we can trust in that. I would encourage you, write this down outside in your notes here. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9. It's another passage, a different context, a different time and a place, a different people. Um, but it's similar language is used. Romans 8, 28 to 39, write that out in your margins as well. John 6, 41 to 51. This is Jesus' interaction specifically uh, with Jews as he unpacks some of these concepts um, as well. But I'll say this, anytime the idea of election or choosing or predestination is used in the scriptures, it's most often used, get this, 
as a source of comfort, encouragement to persevere and trust in him. In almost all contexts, that's when it's talked about, that's what it's used for, is to be a source of comfort and encouragement. And so because of the sovereignty of God, we have this new identity in Jesus, and it expresses itself in a more corporate uh, blessing to the church in what we call that kind of that fourth big or that third big theme, unity. Okay. Now the word to be fair is only used one time in the text, and so it doesn't seem like a repetition. But the way it is in the language is and in the sentence is the sentence plays itself out, and I think we could even hear this in your reading garland. Um, the, the the passage peaks out at this this statement of all things being brought under Jesus Christ and in unity under him. Uh, the wording is, is literally, it's, it's the summing up of all things under him. All history, the work of redemption, the expression of the glory of God, Jesus is the means of and he's the end of transformation to the glory of God. He's bringing all things under his authority so that we can be one in Christ. Now, practically speaking, and we're gonna get into this in detail as we work through our time in Ephesians together. One of the primary expressions of that unity is in the body of Christ in the church of Ephesus between Jew and Gentile. So one of the applications of our new identity in Jesus as we walk in unity under the lordship of Jesus is ethnic unity, okay? So just, it's, it's a good reminder for all of us that in the body of Christ, there's no place for the sin of favoritism, for ethnic hatred for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? In fact, there's no place for that for how we treat those who aren't in Christ but are created in the image of God outside of these walls and outside of our church. God is bringing unity to all things, and it's got a practical application. A lot of chapter two and a lot of chapter three, we're gonna hit that head on. He also, and you can see the list there on the screen, um, he brings together those from different socioeconomic demographic backgrounds. Um, both the poor and the rich are new in Christ and are equal in standing with him. Politically, he would be over spiritually and above Caesar, and he will be the one true king that reigns and rules in the future. He brings unity in our families through healthy marriages. We'll see that in chapter five. He brings unity in our morality. Um, does what we say and who we claim match how we live and how we behave? He will be over and above even uh, Artemis, uh, their pagan goddess they worship. And he was working a plan to bring cosmic unity to restore all things to himself. Now, here's an interesting interpretive uh, hermeneutic, if you will. Um, about 16 different times, I think you can see this on the screen, the word us or our or we or you in a plural sense is used to describe who he's writing to, okay? I just want to push this a little bit here. I know for years I would open up a letter like this and just be going, what's in this for me today? Just, just today, just for me, Matthew, all right? Paul's speaking to a collective we. And so if they were to read this, as Garland set it up in the context of a house church, their initial default 
would be a collective or a community application, okay? I like to think of it as individual responsibility to a community when it comes to applying this text and understanding um, how to interpret it. And so you're gonna see that over and over again. And some of these plural forms of pronouns, sometimes he's speaking specifically to a collective group of Jews, sometimes to a collective group of Gentiles, and sometimes to both as he brings them together. So individual, individual responsibility to a community is gonna help us interpret what God has for us as he brings us together in unity. Sovereignty, identity, the application of that identity in unity across all lines. And then the great manifestation of his sovereignty as the church comes together is that we bring him and express him glory. As I mentioned earlier, there are only just a handful of words that are used to describe our response to the greatness of God in these blessings to us. One of those is to put our hope in. Another one is to hear the gospel, you see that here, um, to believe or trust or to rely on. And then four different times in this passage, the word praise is used. Three of those times, it refers to praise to his glory. So I think it's instructive for us as we start to think outside of ourselves here, what does he mean by this? Well, in the scriptures, God's glory often involves the expression of his attributes or his presence. His presence is key to that. We see that in Eden. We see that in the tabernacle. We see that in the temple. We see that now in the New Testament church as you and I in Christ have become the new temple. His presence is a manifestation of his glory. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word implied a sacred glory for God's name. It carried with it the idea of of a weight or a heaviness. In Greek, it, it's the idea of doxa or praise, fame, that idea of him making him famous. And what's interesting, I think, for us to always remember and understand, and why we need expressions of that to understand who he is, God is technically, intrinsically, all of these things independent of us and his expression. It's part of who he is, and I know you're, some of you are going, ah, I can't get my head around that. In and of himself, he is God, and he is an expression of his glory. We can use this as a working definition when we consider glory, the weight of God's character and presence revealed in his sovereign work of creation, redemption, and restoration, the weight of his character and presence. Christopher Morgan said this in his essay, uh, the glory of God is interwoven throughout the biblical story and it forms the origin, the content, and the goal of the entire cosmic narrative from beginning to end, from before creation to the redemption of our bodies to eternity. It's so central to scripture that the story of the Bible is in some sense the drama of God's glory the drama of God's glory. I think the best way that we understand it is that our lives are supposed to magnify him, to reflect him to a world that needs hope. Well, as we consider, I wanna bring this home a little bit. Okay, we've, we've dealt with some pretty big ideas here. I wanna bring it home and, and maybe confront some things that we need confronted. When we consider sovereignty, 
And just as I devotionally reflected on this, it seems to speak or confront our need for control. And we're reminded that he's the one that's in control. When we consider identity, I think it speaks to our need for security. And it's a security that we would proclaim here in this room that can only be found in Christ. When we consider unity, not only it's a need that we have for peace between us and God, but also peace with our brothers and sisters in the context of the body of Christ. And we're gonna see that play out through the rest of Ephesians. And when we consider his glory, I think it confronts our need, everyone in here, we may not feel this or know it day to day, but our need for purpose, for something bigger and greater outside of ourselves to live for. And so consider these questions. Do you believe this morning that God is in control? Do we believe that God says who, and he defines who we are in Christ? Do we live in gospel unity? Does our life proclaim God's Glory. Does your life proclaim God's glory? Can you see yourself doing that as you go into the marketplace this week? Well, this week, um, early Thursday morning, about 2 a.m., I began to um, just kind of toss and turn. I was kind of in that kind of restless state. I would doze off and kind of in a fog, and then I would sleep hard. And um, I had these phrases haunting me throughout the night from this passage in a good way. Um, I guess if you're going to dream or come in and out of sleep, it's good to have the scriptures fading in and out with you, right? Up on the watches of the night. And uh, I had this overwhelming sense that I was loved by God. And that I was his treasured possession. And this, this sense that I was secure. And throughout the night as I went back and forth, I also had the overwhelming sense, now get this, it's actually not about you, Clark. And that felt really good too. The collision of security, of being his possession, and yet it not being about me. That's the dance Paul has for us, and some of you need to hear that this morning. You see, we all have scripts and narratives that we talk to ourselves about daily. You may not say them out loud. Some of you, um, you don't sense that you are loved because of a trauma that happened to you. Or maybe you just feel like an unlovable person because of the things you've done. Uh, Some of us, um, we feel like we've got to earn people's approval to be something or to find identity. Some of us, Um, to perform for others, to make a name for ourselves, to be different. You know what one of my scripts is? You don't belong. I feel that. Some would call it, it's a form of the imposter syndrome when you're at the table and you go, I'm a fraud. If people knew the real me, if people knew the real me, You see, I I see myself as a very vanilla person. I do a lot of boring, old soul kind of things. There's nothing, I'm not great at anything. It's what I tell myself, and I'm good at a lot of little things. 
And so when I'm at the table in a staff meeting or even up here on the stage this morning, one of the lies that I stare down every time I step on this stage is you don't belong there. And yet in Christ and in the gospel, uh, for this moment, in this time and place, because he was good enough for me, I do for 30 minutes, right? And then for the next 24 hours, I have to keep reminding myself of that because of these identity statements. Some of you are just like me. And when you wake up in the morning, you don't feel like you belong. If people knew the real you, well, I wanna give you the real you over the next 11 weeks. And the root of it is found in these verses here in three to 14. And so what I wanna ask you to do, we've talked about this as a staff team, I'd like to ask every person in here to memorize verses three to 14 with us before Thanksgiving. Can we do that? I'm not gonna make you raise your hand. I know just as I am was played and you might wanna walk down the aisle and make that commitment, all right? But I wanna ask you to do that. I've asked my sons to do that with me. I haven't asked Pam yet. My sons have not responded. <laughs> so count the costs. Can we do that and let's understand who we are in Christ? Let's write a new script to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the goodness and work of Jesus and on the cross, his resurrection, all those things that we get credit for, his perfect life lived in our place. God, help us live in the truths of those things this week. In his name we pray, amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's be reminded of this. Galatians 4 says, Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. That's our new identity, church. And we stand in the finished work of the cross. We are children of God. So let's stand together and let's celebrate. with 
Let's be reminded, Galatians 4, this text, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Let's leave this morning with the confidence in that, that we are heirs to the God most high. We are his children. We are secure in that if we trust him with our lives. The prayer room is available through the doors on your right if you would like to pray with someone, if you would like to take communion, that's available. Church, we love you. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.